just want to greet everyone and thank everybody for joining us, uh, whether it's here in the worship center or online um, on Facebook Live or in uh, on our website. We just want to say thanks for joining us for week number two of our series called Spin, where we are identifying um, or try to identify eight of the most popular scriptures that have been used that maybe have just been sorely misunderstood. Uh, so if your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 4, and while you're doing that, I do want to give a huge shout-out to um, one of our staff members here at K-First. Um, when I showed up 11 years ago, I inherited a, a couple pastors, and one in particular, I inherited a kid's pastor that um, I wasn't—I I just didn't know how to take him because I said, Marty, what do you see your role in? at K-First being for the time being and for the future. And he gave me what I thought was a very canned line. He says, I am here and I'm called to do whatever the, the pastor needs. I'm like, that's a great answer for the new boss that you just inherited. Um, that just sounds like such maybe a canned answer. And I realized over the past 11 years that it's not a canned answer. That is the essence of who Marty Brightup is. Mar Marty and Lisa Brightup, have worked alongside of me for 11 years, but they have actually, uh, this past month, celebrated their 20th year being a pastor on staff here at Kalamazoo First Assembly of God. They grew up at the school that used to be here, for, uh, First Assembly of God Christian School. Uh, they've graduated from here. Um, in fact, they were board members at one, one point and decided to step in to, and to fill a need in kids' ministry. And from that moment of obedience, of filling a need, um, the long story short, he ended up stepping on staff as the kid's pastor. Handful of years ago, stepped into an associate role, and he has been here. Him and Lisa have been here as pastors, staff members, valued family members of this church for the past 20 years. So if you're watching online, would you just give a shout out to Marty and Lisa? Tell them congratulations. I don't know if there is a sandal emoji on um, your iPhone or your Android. Uh, if there is one, find it, just post it right there in the chat. And I would just encourage every one of you, would you send them a text or a message just to say thank you for being faithful. I just wanna give a huge, monstrous shout out to Marty. In fact, if you would, put the clapping emoji, if anything, right there in the chat. Thank you, thank you, Marty and Lisa. We love you tons. We are just gonna bless them with a gift. We're just gonna say thank you to them on behalf of the staff, but we're just proud that we get to, we get to serve with two amazing servants and your beautiful family. It was um, a couple years ago that Ann and I were on a, a walk and we do a lot of walks through our neighborhood. And as we were walking, uh, we looked over and saw this boy and he was taking, I mean, let me set my Bible down. He's taking his dad's tie strap and it's got a little metal hook on the end and he's tossing up into the tree and it keeps coming down. And Anna goes, what is that boy doing? And I know how boys think. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what he's doing. He found something in the garage and based upon something he probably saw on TV, he has put two and two together and he's wandered out into the yard and he's trying to hook that to something so he can swing or climb. And Ann goes, is that dangerous? I mean, probably, it's just what us boys do. We, we don't need any reason for doing it. We just see something and assume we can do that. And we will find whatever it takes. And so all of a sudden it gets caught in a tree and I, I see this look on his face. He's like, oh my word, it, it caught. So he goes to grab onto it and it, it unlatches and he just falls to the ground. And Ann goes, should we do something? Well, no, just watch. 
He gets back up, brushes himself off, looks up, and he just keeps throwing it up in the tree. She goes, should we say something? I'm like, nope, this is what boys do. And she's like, why do boys do that? And I have no explanation whatsoever because it's just in our nature. And all of a sudden, my mind goes back to uh, the early 80s. And I remember being at my grandparents' house. We were watching that great Christian show, Batman, with Adam West, the OG. Uh, Batman with the most terrible acting in the world. But in Batman, I just remember as a kid watching the Batarang. And if you were not raised with that type of Christian programming, the Batarang was simply a bat-shaped piece of metal with a rope. And he would throw it up onto a building and immediately caught immediately and then he would climb up the side of a building and that scene is just immortalized in everybody's mind who have seen that and I remember watching that and I do what every boy does is I went out to my grandpa's uh, shed and I found a rope and then I fashioned a piece of metal like a batarang and began to throw it against the side of my grandparents' house. And then my grandma told me to stop making so much noise and had, she didn't know what I was doing. And so I went over to their walnut tree and, and I'm just tossing it up there, tossing it up there. Finally, I grabbed it and before I could climb, my grandmother saw what I was doing and came out and just said, David, if you don't get down, you're going to break your arm. And if you keep trying, you're going to get a licking, which I think meant I was going to get a spanking, even though grandma never spanked me before. Um, but I remember just like, she's screaming for grandpa, but he's got the rope in the tree. I don't know what he thinks he's doing. And grandpa just looked at us, ah, oh, he'll be okay. And I don't know why grandpa's dads and just, we just think the sons are just going to be okay. And obviously, yes, I tried climbing up the walnut tree, fell out of the tree, which was one of many times I fell out of the tree. But I remember just thinking, grandma, couldn't, grandma told me I couldn't do something. And when, whenever you told me you, I couldn't do something, in my mind, I just wanted to snap back at somebody and just say, don't tell me what I can't do. I've, just, I've always had that little prideful chip on my shoulder. I came home my first day of kindergarten and I was weeping to my parents. Why? Because the kids at school called me shrimp. This may blow your mind. I've never been the most tall, tallest person in my class ever. Um, I was always the shortest, and so I was always told what I couldn't do. So I always had this thing that says, don't tell me what I can't do, because if you tell me I can't do it, I'm just going to go ahead and do it, and I will prove you wrong, which maybe worked 50% of the time. The reason why I bring up that is because of the scripture that I'm focusing today in our spin series, where we're looking at all of these different scriptures that have been spun to kind of mean something or to be used in a way that it was never meant to be used. And this is one of my favorites uh, because you can go to Hobby Lobby and find this on plaques or, or you can go on Twitter and look at professional athletes and you will find hundreds, literally hundreds of professional athletes with this scripture in their bio. And it's Philippians chapter three, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Some of your translations might say, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Um, I bet you if you've been in church long enough, you've heard that preached and you've heard that proclaimed and spun to mean whatever you want it to mean. But I'm just going to tell you, I can't do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. I can just tell you immediately that that scripture doesn't work all the time. Why? Because in first grade, I said, I'm going to play in the NFL and I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. Can I tell you what I haven't done yet is play in the NFL. 
I could do all things. I could do all things. I've heard people apply that to their life and so many things. I know I'm just going through a rough time, but I can do all things with Christ Jesus who gives me strength. That I know this, I know I, know I want this job, and I, I know I have got this dollar amount that I think I'm going to make, and I know people say that'll never happen, but I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And it sounds really great, and it sounds really wonderful, but this has been the, the adrenaline scripture that we have plugged into so many situations as the fix it all or the thing that kind of get us over the hump. I've been discouraged before and people walked up and said, Pastor Dave, I, you just seem like you're in a dark time. Don't worry, you can do all things to Christ Jesus and gives us strength. And, and granted, it sounds really good, but we really are not always understanding what this scripture actually means. And so in this series, what we are doing is we are helping people to understand these scriptures by taking three steps back. We're telling people to take a scripture that may be your favorite or might be popular and take three steps back. What do we mean by that? First step back is this, look at the surrounding scriptures. Look at the two surrounding scriptures. So let's go back to verse 12 and then to verse 14. It says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, place, of, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So I could do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Now, all of a sudden, when you begin to use it with the other two scriptures, you begin to see that this might not be the apply to everything scripture, but it actually has a specific conversation or context that's going on. So the first step back is we look at the scriptures on either side. That's a first step back. The next step back is to look at the paragraph. So we go from the surrounding scriptures to the paragraph. Look at the paragraph. Uh, verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now... At length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking uh, of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to become content. And I know how to be brought low, how to abound in any circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. And yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. I mean, look at that. All of a sudden we have gone from this scripture that we can apply to all so many circumstances to realize that the scripture has nothing to do with just sticking it on a plaque, but everything to do with Paul was in need and he had gone through need but he had learned to find contentment no matter what he is facing. And through that contentment, he could say, I can face any situation, hunger or fullness, provision or need. I can face anyone through Christ Jesus, which strengthens me through these times. So we step back into what surrounds it, to the paragraph, and then into the greater chapter. In fact, the whole chapter gets into the issues of joy, but focuses not just in joy that we have in the Lord, but in the way that God provides for his people. So when you look at the whole scripture, you don't miss what Paul is actually getting at. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love quoting the scripture. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I love quoting, it's wonderful. It's a great spiritual adrenaline rush, but we have to learn what is it really talking about. If not, we can actually get in danger of spinning that scripture to mean whatever we want it to mean. And we get the heart of this portion of scripture, this portion of the chapter in verse 12. Look at verse 12, I love this. I... Verse 12, let me get to it here. I know 
how to be brought low and how to abound in and every circumstance. I love that. I know how to abound. One translation says it. I've learned in whatever situation I can be content. I've learned to be content in any situation. Verse 11 brings up the word content one more time. I've learned to be content in every situation. Now, I want you to understand something that Paul says. Paul is not saying that you have to be content with every situation, but he says you can be content in every situation. There's a difference when you bring the preposition change. Because some of us think that we have to be content with the lot that God has handed us. But God is not saying that we have to be content with the circumstance, but he says that we can't be content in the circumstance. How do you find contentment in circumstances? I'm glad you asked me that question. We get to be content in them. Why? Because we've got one with us in the situation who gives us strength. And I believe that this type of contentment is what caught the eyes of the first century world. When they saw Christians persecuted, when they, when they were putting them to death, they were arresting them. When they were trying to put hardship upon the Christians and they began to see something rise up in the Christian community that boggled their mind. They're like, we took away your family. We took away your substance. We took away your homes. We took away this. We took away that. And that yet they would see Christians standing in the face of lions, standing in the face of death, standing in the face of need. And they had their heads held up high and they had something possessing a joy inside of them that said, you know what? You could take something away or you can remove something, but my joy is not dependent upon what I'm going through. Joy is dependent upon who Jesus is within me. That caught the attention. In fact, that word content in the Greek language means to be satisfied and no longer disturbed or unsettled. To be satisfied and no longer um, disturbed or unsettled. That we're content. There's something happening internally that seems so contrary to the culture that we're living in right now. Because if you watch a commercial, every commercial you watch is designed to, to seed some sort of discontent saying that you are missing something unless you have our product. And so my challenge is this, is when I read Philippians 4 and I see that Christ can help me in all of the situations to find contentment in him. We have to remember, we're not meant to find contentment with our situation. We are meant to find a contentment in them. And that contentment comes through Christ. And so we look at Philippians 4 and we ask the question, what is the secret to finding contentment in the situation, because I don't know about you, I have faced some very dark things in my life. As a pastor, I have, have helped walk numbers of family, hundreds of people through dark moments for which I have no explanation for. I have seen children go through things, adults go through things. I have just seen so much tragedy. And yet in the face of that, like I'm thinking to myself, how do you find contentment in those situations? I wanna share with you the secret to getting contentment. Verse nine, I love this. Verse number nine says, what you have learned and what you have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That right there, I think is actually the secret to contentment. I mean, 
Philippians chapter four, we, most of us just want that scripture. I've had people say, Pastor, just give me a scripture that would just make the world right right now. And I'm like, um, Jesus wept? I don't know. That was like the first one that always comes to mind is the shortest verse of the whole Bible. And I don't know how that helps anybody in the exact moment, but some of us just want that, that magical thing that just sweeps everything away. But the secret to having contentment in your situation, not with, but in your situation, happens in verse six where Paul says, whatever you have seen in me, what you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard, look at those words. If you have your Bibles, underline it. If you have your iPhones, tap on it so you can highlight it. Practice these things. If you're sitting near somebody, just, just tap them on the shoulder and tell them to practice. Just tell them right there, practice. Get the spirit of Allen Iverson on you. Just say, practice. And if you don't watch basketball, you do not get that amazing reference right there. You've got to practice these things because contentment, to have contentment in your situation, it doesn't take a verse and it doesn't take a simple prayer. It is practice. It is a practical thing. In other words, we should stop chasing or simply praying about contentment. It is time for the people of God to actually put it into practice. So often, we are so caught up chasing contentment. And contentment is not something to chase. It's something to put into practice and to begin to engage in your everyday life. In fact, write this down. Contentment doesn't just appear, we choose it. Contentment doesn't just appear. It's not like Jesus shows up and bippity-boppity-boom, we get contentment. Contentment is not something that just appears. We choose it. And we, if you want contentment, we have to practice it. And so what I want to do is we're just going to kind of walk through a little bit of Philippians chapter 4. And I'm just going to give you three things that I want you to practice so that you can have contentment not with your situation, but in your situation. So if you're taking notes, three things I want you to write down. Number one, very simple, practice prayer. Simple Effective, practical, number one, practice prayer. Verse number six. Am I on the right one? Yes. Verse number six. Uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in what? Everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be, be made known to God. I mean, look at that right there. Instead of investing in your worry, invest in prayer. One translation says, don't worry, but in everything by prayer, make your needs known to God. Practice prayer. There is just something about practicing prayer, more than just saying a prayer before bed or a prayer at your meal, but being a people that will go into the throne room of God and actually practice communing, communicating and talking to God. In my, in my office, actually, I, I, I just came across a ticket stub that is a very important ticket stub to me. I, I, growing up in the, in the church world, I, I, I went to some Christian concerts over the years, and one of the first concerts I ever went to was a band called DeGarmo and Key. And so there's some people that will not even recognize the name. I grew up on DeGarmo and Key. In fact, they, they sang a song called Boycott Hell. My dad got mad. He thought I was jammed to a song called Boys of Hell. I'm like, no, 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 no. Boycott hell, Dad. It's, it's a good thing. Uh, Degarmo Key was an amazing concert, one of my favorite um, hip-hop groups of all time, ETW, which stood for End Time Warriors. How 90s is that? The End Time Warriors. Um, they, they 
kicked off the concert, downtown Detroit at, at the Fox Theater. It was amazing. Uh, but leading into that concert, and the reason why it's so important is that's actually where I met my, my best friend even to this day. Um, he pastors on the east side. That's where I met him for the first time. But I remember it was $15 for a concert ticket. And I mean, my dad just wasn't into any type of music that I was wanting to go to. And I remember just wanting to ask him for 15 bucks. I didn't have a job. I obviously wasn't driving at the time. I was gonna go with my friends, but 15 bucks would have got me a general admission ticket. And I remember just kind of dancing around the subject with him for a couple weeks. And one day at, ch at the end of church, um, like I've been dancing around, like hinting towards stuff. And he finally pulls me into this room at the church. And he just, he's like, son, what do you wanna ask me? Do you wanna ask me for something? If you're gonna ask me, ask me. And I remember saying, Dad, all my friends are going to this Christian concert. It is a purely Christian concert, Dad. We're all going, we're joining some guys from, from another church and we're just gonna go just have a fun night. He says, how much is it? I said, $15, is that okay? He says, why wouldn't that be okay? I want you to have times like this. I want you to go have fun. Why wouldn't you just simply ask me? Because in my mind, that because it wasn't a thing that dad would go to himself that I immediately thought if dad doesn't like it for himself, immediately it's a no across the board. For some reason I had in my mind, my dad's disposition toward me was no. So therefore I couldn't ask. And I wonder if that's why many of us don't, we don't find contentment because we don't practice prayer. And the reason why we don't practice prayer is perhaps some of us think that God's disposition toward us is a no, and we'll dance around the subject that we'll kind of, kind of play some games with God, wondering, wondering if God would, if we actually ask God, would he actually tell us yes or no? I wrote this down. Discontentment begins when we believe that God does not have our best interest at heart. This discontentment begins when we don't believe that God has our best interest at heart. And we begin, what happens is we begin to develop this idea that God doesn't love us or that God doesn't care or God loves us, but, but who are we to ask for anything? Um, who are we that God would even say yes to us for anything? It's like, we're not even on his radar. And we develop this idea or this theology that God's disposition toward us is hope because who are we to ask? for anything. We don't seem special or we don't seem significant. And what that does is that theology begins to work in our hearts and our lives and all of a sudden we begin to give up hope. And I will say this, that it is impossible to find contentment when there is no hope. And so Paul is not saying you have to settle for your lot in life. And he's not saying you have to settle and just accept it. But Paul is saying, listen, you don't have to accept what you're facing You've got a higher authority. You don't have to accept what you are going through. You've got a higher authority. You don't have to just accept the sickness that you maybe you've been diagnosed with or the job situation or that or something that you're facing or the dark cloud that's hovering over your head. You don't have to just accept it that you've got a higher authority speaking over your life. And so Paul is saying, you've got to practice prayer. You've got to practice asking God to move and to work. I wonder if so many of us have yet to see a miracle because we haven't yet prayed for the miracle. And God wants to instill in your life hope that he will act. And we've got to bring yourself to the place where we've got the boldness to ask him. Well, pastor, what if God says no to me? I got an answer in what I journaled this week. 
Every no from God gives, excuse me, every no from God that it gives me in the present gives me a greater hope for what he will say yes to. Every no that God gives me in the present gives me a greater hope because if he says no to one thing, how good is the yes going to be? His disposition isn't no. His disposition, honestly, is love. His disposition is blessing. And so, therefore, I can practice prayer. And when I practice prayer, I can begin to practice contentment and experience contentment in my situation, knowing that, that whatever I'm facing never has the higher authority more than the one that I'm seeking. Number two, don't just practice prayer. Practice focus. Practice focus. We can focus on our worries or we can focus on who Jesus is. Now, um, verse eight, I love verse eight. It's, it's tremendous. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What I love about this, and it's really spelled out great in the Amplified Version where it says, whatever is honorable, worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. You know what that tells me? It tells me that whatever is God in the midst of this situation, because some of us, when we face what we're facing and we're going through what we're going through, some of us are thinking, what good is there? What good can I put my mind to? But that's the beauty of the presence of God. It's no matter what you're going through, that you may not be able to find good in your situation, but you don't have to find good in this situation because good is in the situation with you and the person, the presence of Jesus Christ. Christ. And so contentment is what you focus on and what you feed on. And perhaps many times that I couldn't find contentment because I was so focused on my worried rather than feeding my mind with that which is right, that which is noble, that which is praiseworthy. And now the scripture doesn't say go after and fixate your mind on whether whatever feels right or whatever feels true. Because there is a difference between what feels true and what is true. There's a difference between what feels right and what is right. And in here, we have to understand contentment is not a feeling. Contentment is a focus. And we have to pivot the focus around on the Lord. I wrote this down earlier this week. The key to contentment isn't lowering your expectations so that you're not disappointed, but raising your expectations in the presence, power, and faithfulness of God. Because just because your situation isn't good doesn't mean good isn't there. And many times I couldn't find any good to say about the situation. But the thing that I can always say is this, is even though I might go through the darkest valley, God is still good. Even though I've heard this happen to my family, God is still good. Even though we're facing toughness and pandemic, God is still good. And even though I may not understand the times that are happening around me, I don't understand what's taking place. I don't know when things are gonna lift or if things are gonna get worse, but I can fixate on that or I can sit there and say, but God is still good. And if I can fix my focus, if I can fix what I'm supposed to look at, and if I can begin to practice every single day, putting my eyes on the Lord, it's amazing how contentment will be in my heart, even though the circumstances don't dictate that. We have to practice our focus. And lastly, thirdly, we need to practice being present. Practice being present. 
We practice our prayer. We practice focus. And thirdly, we practice being present. Quite often, I can get caught up staring at everybody else's presence or everybody else's moments. I think of our stop sign right near our house. We're two doors down from a stop sign. And from my stop sign, I can see who's having the garage sale, who's having a party, um, who's mowing their lawn, who seems to be enjoying their day. I could have a busy day, but that's coming to a full stop at that stop sign. You can take a look and just see. It seems like everybody else has got things going on. And I, that's what I thought of today when I begin to wrap my, my mind around the idea is that if I don't practice being present in the moment, I can get so caught up being present in other people's moments. I can get so wrapped up in what I haven't received in life versus where God has placed me for such a time as this. Many times if I'm so worried about what everybody else is doing and being uh, worried about what everybody else is engaged in, I can get so worried about what I've not received rather than recognizing what God has given me right now. I get worried about what's next instead of being present with where God has me now. And so Paul is trying to say, stop playing games, stop chasing what could be and start stepping into what is right now. Practice being present. It's, it's one of those messages that Pastor Matt preached years ago that I've never, never forgot. Talk about the power of being present. Power of being where you're at right now and engaging that through the power and the presence of God. And Paul, that's what I love about Paul. Paul is writing this from prison. Prison Paul, he's writing a simple letter to a church. And you want to talk about writing out of contentment. I, I, can, I can imagine if I was in prison, I wouldn't write a letter about contentment. I would probably be complaining about the smells, complaining about the filth, complaining about whatever in this type of dungeon that Paul was in. And yet Paul found a contentment in the midst of a dirty, rotten prison for which we don't know, even know if he was clothed, he was thrown there, he was left there, he was put there for unjust circumstances and yet he writes to a church saying don't forget to be present because Paul discovered that there is God's presence is with him in his present situation look at the scripture verse 9 I call this the hinge scripture of Ephesians excuse me uh, Philippians chapter 4 Verse 9 says, What you have learned, what you have received and heard from me, practice these things, and look at this last part, and the God of peace will be with you. Why do we practice being present? Because the God of peace is here with you. We don't have to go somewhere to be, with the, be with, in the presence of God. He's already here with you. And that presence never leaves you. You see, discontentment says you have to go try to chase down contentment to find God. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to chase down contentment. Contentment is chasing you down. Why? Because contentment is the person of Jesus Christ. And the scripture says, and the God of peace will be, he's with you. His presence with you. And you don't have to feel peace to know that the God of peace is with you. I love that. When we're so busy chasing after the feeling of peace, but what if we can begin to practice being present, realizing you don't have to chase the feeling of peace because the Prince of Peace is already with you. And that should cause contentment and a settling of our soul to say that, you know what, I can now face anything. That's Paul, verse 13. I cannot face anything. Because the God of peace 
is with me. He's like, I could face hunger. I could face destruction. I could face a jail. Look at Paul's life. You can read Paul's life. I could face shipwrecks. One day Paul made a fire and a snake came out of the fire and attached itself to his hand and literally nobody helped him. They all stood around wondering, is he gonna die? And there's such a stillness about his soul, a contentment in who he was in Jesus that nothing fazed him. He just simply said, he's with me. Psalm 139, one of my favorite Psalms of all time, it says, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit and when I stand. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before I say it. You go before me and you follow me. You're, you place your hand of blessing upon my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I cannot escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. And if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans. Even your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. I love that. The psalmist just simply says, wherever I go, I can't escape what Paul would call the God of peace. And the God of peace will be with you. The psalmist would say, wherever I go, there he is, the God of peace. I want you to understand, you, may, you don't have to like your situation to find good in it. Because Christ can be that whatever. Remember what I said, whatever is righteous, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy. Any excellence, anything worthy of praise. That whatever is always there and it's always good. And Christ can be your whatever. Pastor, I can't find contentment in my situation. You're not meant to find it with the situation, but you can find Christ in there. And if you can find Christ in it, you can always find a contentment that steadies your soul. Earlier this week, I saw a great quote that simply said, you will never know your cup is overflowing if, you're, if you have your eyes on somebody else's mug. You will never know your cup is overflowing if you have your eyes on somebody else's mug. I think so often in the church world, I mean, we find it in all over the world that we can get so caught up looking at everybody else and we get so much discontent based upon what somebody else has and we fail to recognize that according to Psalms chapter 23, our cup is overflowing. That God's goodness and mercy chase after us, that pursues us. Contentment is constantly chasing after us in the person of Jesus. And yet we are so busy trying to find contentment with our circumstances, not realizing that because Jesus is with us, we can always find contentment in. And so the simplicity of the outline is it's time for us, if you want contentment, stop pursuing it as much as you need to start practicing it. You want contentment? Start practicing prayer. Begin a prayer life. Every single day, practice prayer. Secondly, practice your focus. And there's a lot of things that want to pull your focus every which way. Begin to practice your focus. And thirdly, practice being present. Instead of wishing for something to go away, engage where you're at right now in the presence of God. 
And if I could rewrite Philippians chapter four, verse 13, and maybe a more modern day 2020 translation, I would probably say this. Paul would say, I can do all of this through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. What's the all of this? It's everything that we're facing in the moment. The things that wanna rob our, our contentness, the things that wanna remove our peace. He is the God that meets us in the midst of it all and his presence, that hinge scripture, his presence is with us and that peace will guard our hearts and to bring us to a place of contentment. As you can see, the scripture is not there just a slap on a shoe or I've seen, I remember seeing on Evander Holyfield's trunks as he's going to fight Mike Tyson. Uh, we, it, it's more than just a scripture that just kind of gets through every moment and through every circumstance of, of life that we just slap it on there. But perhaps that we can actually use the scripture to bring us down to the place to challenge us on what are we actually trying to seek contentment with or in? Because if we can understand what the spirit of God is speaking to Paul and what he spoke to the Philippian church, we can see what he's speaking to us. It's time for us to stop praying that God would send contentment and maybe start engaging in that which he's already put in front of us in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the God of peace who is with us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for these moments that we have got to engage in. These moments where we just can get so wrapped up in what we don't have. We can get so busy comparing our lives with somebody else's cup, not realizing the mug that we're holding on is just overflowing with blessing already. We get so caught up in wishing that we maybe had somebody else's life, someone else's circumstance, somebody else's bank account, somebody else's job. We get so wrapped up in so many other things, not realizing that the God of peace is with us. And forgive us, Lord, when we have made statements and said we've got nothing to worship about, nothing to pray about, nothing to celebrate, because the whatever's are always found and can always be found in Christ Jesus. And so Lord, I pray for individuals today that maybe they've had a hard time finding something to focus on. I pray the Lord that they would begin to see that Jesus, you're with them. You're that whatever. What is excellent? It's Jesus. What's praiseworthy? It's Jesus. What's righteous? It's Jesus. What's noble? It's Jesus. Help us to see you with us. But help us to be present in what we're doing. To stop wishing away circumstances as much as we find contentment knowing you're with us. And you're not just going to meet us there, but Lord, like the children of Israel, you will walk with us through the deepest places and the toughest of circumstances for the glory and for the honor of your son. So Lord, in this time of prayer, we take these moments just to practice contentment and saying, meet us in this place. Because no matter what we face, we can face all of this through Christ Jesus, who gives us strength. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.